Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast today is September 16th. We got a fun show for you today because we have Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern from the Investing for Beginners podcast. I've seen Andrew and Dave, you guys are climbing up the ranks on Apple Podcasts. So congrats on the success. Do you guys want to give yourself a quick intro? I've been on here before. My name is Andrew. I started a podcast with Dave and I just really love looking at financial statements and businesses and hopefully teach along the way as, as I'm learning. So yeah, my name's Dave, a self-taught investor like Andrew. And I just love talking finance. I love trying to help people learn as much about investing in the stock market and finances as they can. Yeah, you're an experienced investor teaching beginners. And that is very appreciated because everyone does start knowing nothing. And I know that you boys are excited today to talk about things that are not necessarily entirely beginner concepts because we talk about pretty much everything. If you're uh, listening to the Canadian Investor Podcast, we talk about beginner, intermediate and advanced stuff. And Simon, uh, you are here as well. Yeah, I am here. I am here. And I'm excited to uh, to interview uh, Andrew and Dave. I've been listening to their podcast for quite some time. So uh, be interesting to see what you guys have to say today. All right, let's get right into it. First question, where do, and this is kind of an open discussion, brainstorming session, but where do we think value exists today? I mean, many people think the market is crazy expensive. That certainly can be up for debate. I think it depends where you look. But let's uh, let's go around the table and discuss some themes, sectors, perhaps even a specific stock. We think that today you know, can provide value in a market that does trade at historically high valuation multiples? Well, I guess for starters, I like Microsoft. In general, I like leaders in their industry. And if they're not leaders, at least top two, top three. I tend to invest in more matured industries, but definitely companies that are still growing and able to bring a lot of cash back to shareholders. So to me, you know, if I'm looking at and it's all relative based on interest rates and discount rates. We can get into that some other time. But as far as where value is, I really think it depends on where the sentiment is at any given point in time and where how industries are perceived. And I think there's some industries that have done well for a long time, but they've they 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 almost come, you know, second place to other industries that are maybe newer and more exciting. And so those get all the hype. But there's still really good businesses, really good industries. I'll give another example, like the payroll industry. Historically, it's been something that investors have always, always loved because you think about switching costs and how hard it is to update your payroll. And so back in the early 2000s, these were companies trading at like 45, 50 PEs because people knew these are switching costs. Even during a recession, people still have to play their employees. Most businesses are still alive during a recession. So that was a new concept kind of a couple decades ago. It's still very prevalent today. It's just not as of as much of a new, fresh concept. So they're relatively cheap now, and, and there's there's some good players in there. When it comes to payroll, are you thinking like Intuit? Intuit could qualify, but I'm thinking more of the traditional like ADP and yeah. paychecks. 
Got it. And as somebody that has gone through changing, uh, when I was running a restaurant, we changed from ADP to paychecks. And I can tell you from experience that the switching costs, it's real because that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And uh, so it's the the switching cost. It's a real thing for that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Dave, did you have some industries on your end that you see like some potential value right now? Um, you know, I, I'm kind of like Andrew. I I tend to look company by company as opposed to industry by industry. Lately, I guess the last six months to a year, I've really gone down the payment slash fintech hole and it's gotten quite deep. I'm not going to lie. You, you know, might need a shovel. I, Getting might, out is yeah. difficult. <laughs> well, I don't know if a shovel is... I might need a ladder. I mean, uh, well, you might have to lift. Maybe two. Maybe both. <laughs> maybe two. Yeah. Maybe both. You should uh, see the smile on Brayden's face right there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> maybe um, with a shovel, you can dig steps out of the hole. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. So it, it, it for me, it was kind of a natural evolution because I, I, I did a lot of work when I first started learning about investing in insurance companies and banks. And so financials just is something that's kind of always spoken to me and fintechs and payment companies, it's just an extension of banks. And so it, the, the whole idea of them makes sense to me. So a couple of companies that I have come across that I have really, really liked and the more that I've learned about them, the more I really, really have been taken with them. And the first one is, is a company from uh, the Netherlands, uh, Ajin. It's a payment company out of uh, the Dutch payment company. And it's about a $93 billion market cap. And it has been primarily in, in, in Europe, but they're a global company. And they started, uh, well, they've been in the United States for about 10 years, but they've really branched out. So they have some big hitters for companies. They really kind of focus on the larger enterprise the systems. So Facebook is one of their clients, as is Microsoft, as is Netflix, among others. And so they've done really well. Well, Airbnb had just recently signed a deal with them. So they're they're a big player. And the thing that I really like about them is they're founder-led. They are very much about taking care of their employees. They have 1,964 employees right now. Every single one of them has to spend at least half an hour with one of the board members before they're hired. That is very unusual, especially for a company that size. They spend a lot of time working on the most of the companies work from home for the last two years because of of COVID. And the way that their system is set up, it's actually very, very beneficial for them. They have a lot of great benefits that they offer their company. They do offer share based compensation, which is something that is can be a little bit controversial, but it's not exorbitant. And the management is not overly compensated. And so there's just a lot of great things about the company. They're they're very, very, very passionate about their employees and they're very passionate about taking care of the their customers and kind of like Costco, like we were talking about on our show. They they've done they've kind of reversed the method. And the other thing that I really liked about and this was kind of cool. So their last earnings call, it was the uh, director of investor relations, the CFO and the CEO, and they just answered questions. They sat on a couch. And they answered questions. So they had a video of it and it was super cool. And it was like, wow, this is, you know, it's just, it was so laid back. It was so unusual. And I was just kind of really taken with that. So I've never invested in a company outside of the United States before looking into this company. So this is kind of something new for me, but you know, I've, I've really dived into the squares and the PayPal's and, you know, a lot of those companies that I own PayPal, you know, full disclosure, and I love the company, but the other company that I've really, really, really fallen in love with, and this is going to make our friend Braden very happy, is Visa. 
I, the more that I've learned about yeah. the, the system and how it works. And other than actually Bitcoin, I don't know that there's anything out there that can really disrupt it at this point. And it just really, the margins and everything on it, it, it pays a dividend. There's just everything about it. Like you were saying on our show, you could literally run the company with 10 people. And when they turn the lights off, it's still making money. And just the way the company is set up, it's just, it's crazy. The protocols that they invented in the seventies are still in use now. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's one of those companies where you look at it, it's just kind of like a duh. So yeah, yeah, it's big fan of those. Bank AmeriCard, how it all started with the yeah. credit cards. Yeah, they're the kicking themselves an hour. Aren't really they? <laughs> wish they did not mess that up as no. the market cap is like bigger than all of them combined. So yeah, and I like that you brought up Adyen. That's dude, they're a beast. And a lot of those fintechs are a beast. It's very similar to a Stripe, which I talk about on this podcast all the time. Not public yet, but I mean, they're very, very similar type businesses. And I mean, got to give it to some of these European startup founders. They just they just run companies really well. And like, there's a culture of niceness and innovation, like Eck from Spotify or the Collison brothers from from Stripe. Uh, some of these European fintechs are really awesome. And and yeah, Adyen's been on my watch list for probably too long. I need to do something about that. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, you know, the interesting thing to, to geek out about that a little bit more is Europe really seems to be the leading edge for a lot of this, especially London. London and England, there are so many fintech Payfac, all those different kinds of companies. And they just really seem to be more on the leading edge than they are here in the United States, for example, which is kind of interesting. I guess let's move on to our uh, second question that we have for you guys. So what do you think of the actual high quality, high mode software businesses? But you know, we're seeing right now they're trading at really high multiples. I mean, you could even say nosebleed prices. Are the valuation multiples like warranted due to to due to the switching costs, network effects, high margin and growth profile? Like what are your thoughts? Uh, let's say, uh, let's start off with Andrew. So what do you think about those? And I guess more broadly, the high valuations in tech. That's, that's a loaded question. Uh, yeah, really I'm, I'm very happy that <laughs> it really, that. really is. <laughs> so can I go on like a quick lecture on discount rates? Of course. When you look at the high valuations and everybody wants to make a fuss about high historical valuations. But if you go down to the foundation of what a valuation of an asset is and, and why stocks are priced a certain way, you know, stocks are going to be more expensive when yields are low. You know, if I if you want a higher return when you take higher risk. So if, if I'm comparing a stock and a bond, a bond is more reliable, right? Safer cash flow. And so depending on how high those bond yields are, maybe investors are going to put more money in stocks and more money into bonds. And so you can take that logic a step further. And when you look at companies, it's a similar thing where you might have one company that's earnings and cash flows are all over the place. Another company has just stable, recurring, very safe cash flows. And so you're willing to pay a higher premium for the company with more stable cash flows than you would a company that has these cash flows that go up and down. And so the way that we do that in finance is with the discount rate. And so basically the higher the discount rate, the more risky, I put that in quotes, the more risky the cash flows are. And so when you have a higher discount rate, that means you want you want a lower valuation. You you want to be 
you want to be paid to take on that extra risk because the cash flows are more risky. But that level changes depending on what interest rates are. So when interest rates are rock bottom low, like we've never seen, well, your alternative is to go into bonds where you're not going to earn anything anyways. And so that drives the discount rate down, which means the valuations have to come up. And so you have to take that into consideration when you look at valuations today, is that we've never seen price to earnings multiples like this ever. We've also never seen discount rates like this ever. And so that has a big impact on some of the nosebleed prices. That all said, though, you could plug in some discount rates on some of these stocks that are out there and you still will not get anywhere near what any person who teaches valuation would say is a fair price for a company. And so those are the ones that you have to worry about. And I don't care if it's the the most fantastic business in the world, you know. I don't care if 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 investors think that this business is going to last forever and it's going to keep all their customers and it's going to raise prices forever. That's just that's not the reality. If you look at how businesses have been over time, moats eventually erode. And so you need to pay a fair price for whatever stock you're looking at, regardless of what the business is. So an example that, you know, going back to like the early 2000s, eBay was a company who was said to have an impenetrable moat. And it really did. I mean, it still does. It's still the best auction website. The problem is nobody does auctions anymore online. We all just go to Amazon. So you have to be careful. We're doing auctions for NFTs these days, though, Andrew. Get with the times. Sorry. Should have invested in in the the eBay of NFTs. You got to take that into consideration. But I think when you just blanket statement and say all all companies are trying nosebleed valuations, it's not fair because there are some companies that seem expensive, but they actually have really stable cash flows. And so they do deserve those higher valuations. And it comes down to the discount rate and the free cash flow. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but to add to that, I mean, specifically, I'm curious what you think about underwriting something like, you don't have to know these companies well, but like a crowd strike or a Shopify, you know, they're growing revenues at 80 to 100% year over year, but trade at like 60 times sales. Does that make you feel very uncomfortable even given the growth? Or do you think that there's something really to that? Because if you look at the past couple of years, they've traded at those multiples this whole time and you've, you know, made hundred baggers. So I'm just curious, and it, there might not be no right answer, it's I'm struggling with it myself is trying to trying to properly value these things and figure out if I even can. Yeah, that's tough. And that's it's kind of why I don't play in that field. It's kind of similar to venture capital. You know, you have businesses that are growing thousands of percent, but you know, one out of maybe fifty or a hundred are actually gonna be the next Uber or the next Amazon. And so it is very difficult. And if you're going to play in that field, you really have to diversify over a lot of different, those types of growth companies. And the ones that are going to give you big drawdowns, you got to have the one that's the unicorn that pays for all of your losses and then some. Yeah, I, w- I would probably agree with a, a lot of what Andrew was saying. One of the things that I guess that has really helped me identify and think about some of these ideas, a book called uh, by Michael Mobison called The Base Rate Book. And in the book, he it's a PDF that you can download for free. And 
in the the book, he has he breaks it up into different sections, and he talks about basically the numbers of net margins, revenue growth, operating margins, ROIC, and some of those kinds of things. And it, they he and his team basically took the stock market and broke it down into different groupings of revenues sizes or market caps, and then looked at the reality of how many of these companies actually do some of the things that sometimes you see people project. You know, So a company that's going to grow at 50% over next 10 years is as you go up the, the, the ladder of market caps, it starts to dwindle you know because just the the sheer number of companies you know a company like CrowdStrike that you mentioned earlier it's smaller than Microsoft who is one of their competitors so the ability for CrowdStrike to grow at the rate that they're growing it's you know it will for the next few years for sure but is that likely to do it over 10 years I don't know. You know I don't, I, don't even, I would argue, sorry to interrupt, but I would argue no. we don't even know if they'll do it over the next couple of years. And that's it, kind of it, what it, Mobison was talking about is right. the, the correlation between revenue from year to year is so mm-hmm. random at times. Right. So it's really hard to project. It really sorry, is. It, it, no, it's okay. It's, it, it's really hard to project, but it, it goes to operating margins, you know, all the different metrics that he looks at. And it was really enlightening to me. And so one of the things that I think I took away from that is, is looking at some of those things. Uh, price to sales is not something I pay much attention to, honestly. Um, I look more at the financials of the company and, and what I think it will grow to if it gets to what the rest of the what the rest of its sector is and I'll give you an example Amazon in 2000 my my guru for investing for finance is uh, Oswald Damodaran and he he gives these free classes and he had his whole lecture on Amazon and him valuing Amazon in 2000 and he projected that eventually the company would get to operating margins of around I don't know 10% and he was off. They got a, they got to twenty in the ten years. But uh, the point is, is that he took it from a very negative company to a profitable company, and it was still trading above that price. And he chose not to buy it at that time. He revalued it about five years later, and he, he ended up buying it then because he felt like the valuation was better at that point. But it was really illuminating to me because you could see the evolution of a, of a negative, non-profitable company when you look at the bottom line to a profitable company after a 10-year period because you could see things like the company growing its revenues, growing its operating margins, and reducing its cost as it continued to scale up. And so when you look at some of these companies that you see in in the stock market today, I look at those and try to look at something like CrowdStrike and go, is it, is it logical for me to see that those operating margins are going to come in line at some point where that company's got to be profitable? And you know, I've bashed on Tesla more times than you've probably, you know, ranted and raved about how great Lisa is on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. And and one of the things that that you know, I love the car. The car is amazing. Yeah. But when you look at the financials, it was a mess until about a year ago. And even now, the 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 profit margins that it's squeaking out are not that great. And so, it's a car company. Yeah, of I course know. they're not. Well, this it depends on who you talk to. But right. you know, the <laughs> the point is, is that you have to project to a certain extent with reasonable 
facsimile of where you think it could be in 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 the reality of valuation. You could be wrong, and you know none of us are are fortune tellers. We don't know what's going to happen in a few years, but. If you look at history and you look at other companies in the industry that it's operating in, you can sometimes make reasonable assessments of where you think this will land. And if it's, you know, if it's a market leader and it's a special company, then, you know, obviously you can project above that. But it all comes down to kind of trying to be realistic about where you think the company is going to be at a certain point. Yeah, I think those are a great point just to keep in mind that those high valuations, it's really hard to project, you know, even just more than a couple of years. And even sometimes, like Andrew said, even just projecting the next few years, it's really hard to understand where the company will go and how quickly it will grow. And the one thing I did like about uh, Andrew, how you were saying how the bond yields are so low. And I think not to get too much on the macro side, but I think those low bond yields, I mean, they're pushing people to more risk assets, right? So we're seeing these high valuations for tech stocks because people don't really have other options in their mind to be able to keep up with inflation and their purchasing power. And I don't want to change this to crypto discussion, but you're seeing the same thing on the crypto side where, you know, people are getting into these uh, shitcoin, like anything outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum, if you'd like. And it's even more the wild, wild west, but it's the same kind of reasoning, right? People are pushing themselves even more on the risk curve. And when you can't really project that far out what a company or an asset is going to do, I think that's where you get into trouble. And uh, Brayden and I have struggled with that a lot. Like I love Shopify, but I've never gone around to buy it because I just can't wrap my head around the valuation. And uh, yeah, you, you guys, I, I think, really touch a point on that. It really comes down to what you're willing to underwrite a few years out. And uh it's difficult to do and that's what makes some of this stuff tricky to do and why I don't even bother with with running discounted cash flow statements like I did I just can't build one that is successful and repeatable so I keep my models really extremely simple and have found better results so I think that that's a, that's a good discussion and it's there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer to valuing these things but it's interesting to see how you know all four of us were sitting here and thinking it's difficult to value some of these things that are super high growth. So uh, yeah, fair enough. But you know what? When it comes to software and tech, I think this transitions really nicely into the next question because let's talk about companies that are absolutely massive that are not trading at crazy multiples. And five, six years ago, I think... Many of us, including myself, were idiots for thinking that they were expensive. I mean, if you looked at Amazon, yet yeah, Jeff was doing everything in his power to make those statements look like junk. If you dig deeper, you could see that this business was a beast and about to just have operating leverage that you know would would make your head explode. So, I mean, let's talk about fam: Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google. These are trillion dollar firms. Can they keep going higher? What's our hot takes on this? I don't think they're expensive personally. Well, if you want a soundbite, I don't think Amazon can. And that's just simply from the numbers because at the at the growth rate, if they continue, they'll be the, the world's economy. So they can't. Right. Microsoft, on the other hand, I just added to them recently. And, you know, we get this sense that they're so big that they can't continue to grow. High, but if you remember, a company like Microsoft has such high margins 
they don't need to grow that much in revenues in order to continue these crazy growth rates. So the world has enough revenue for Microsoft to grow at high rates. And you know, don't get too hard on yourself. I don't think most of us could have predicted that Amazon and Microsoft could have all of this crazy empire building they're doing with their data centers would become this incredibly massively profitable cloud, you know, industry that we know of today. And so, you know, when I look at somebody like Microsoft and you have to ask yourself, is the whole move to data and data consumption, is that still in the early innings? I can't remember. <laughs> We've been recording for a while. I don't know if we we're talking about Tesla in this episode or in the previous. <laughs> we are just talking about it. <laughs> All right, just, cool. yeah. <laughs> Time's morphing here. But I finally got to drive one. And if you've ever been in there with the, the tablet that's, that's on the screen, it is constantly scanning all of the traffic around you. And so as you have cars driving by you, these cars are appearing on your screen. So you can imagine all of the data that they're generating, not to mention all the data we don't know they're generating. So are people going to use more data as time goes on? Are they going to need these data centers as time goes on? And what does that mean for Microsoft? I think it means a lot of good things. We talked about yesterday in our secular trend, Simon, just the biggest high conviction secular trend is people are going to be using more data per capita on a, you know, on, and we're going to underestimate how much we're going to use. And uh, I think that that's a, a trend to definitely ride on. How about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, the, the thing I guess I would maybe argue a little bit with Andrew's idea is AWS inside of Amazon is kind of its own beast. I would wonder if they ever did separate those, if that would be the one that continue to grow, whereas the the retail side, air quote retail side, would probably not hang as much. Um, the company that really kind of intrigued me not too long ago, I ended up pulling the trigger was Facebook. Uh, at one point, it dropped to a 26 PE, which is just, <laughs> when you look at, if you took the Facebook out of it, and you just looked at the financials of the company and you looked at all the different margins and revenue growth and costs and all that stuff, you'd be like, holy crap. I mean, it just, it's stupid. And, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is 37 slacker and get to know, work, Mark. Yeah, get to work. But, you know, you look at the numbers and it's ridiculous and it was trading at a 26 PE. And of course, I think it was trading around 250 bucks a share. Now it's like around 350. So of course I'm kicking myself, but you know, some of the, some of the things that I think could derail some of these companies, I don't think it's the business and I don't think it's the operations. I think it's going to be more social pressures, whether it's regulation or whether it's government or whether it's just socially, People just go, eh, eh, no more of this, you know, because how, how many of us have, you know, has it caught you off guard when you're talking to your fiance, Simon, about a wedding gift and she's looking up it on her phone. And then an hour later, you pick up your phone and the same things are popping up on your phone. It's kind of creepy. And, you know, so, you know, I know it's all coming from data and I understand how they're all doing that. But some of those things, you know, it, it, could they go too far? I mean, I, I watched that, that uh, Netflix documentary. That one's creepy. Yeah, that yeah, one's creepy. Yeah. I watched that. And it, 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 I'm not going to lie. It did make me a little bit like, but, you know, I, the companies themselves, you know, we were talking about Google earlier. Google's a monster. I mean, 
just the the sheer things that they've done you just take youtube out of the whole equation alone and that's just a a beast and you look at the google cloud and the google ads and i just googling has become a thing it's a verb now i mean how many companies can say that about the, the company you know the google something well <laughs> you know so yeah the they're they're ridiculous they're all ridiculous yeah i, I probably would agree with, with all, all three of you i think there's still some growth left for for those big tech um i mean we haven't talked much about apple either apple i think has done a tremendous job to really leverage their ecosystem and really push the service side and the re reoccurring revenues and you know, they just came out with their announcement this week with their new iPhones, iPhone 13, and you have the the new iWatch that's going to come out. And they're really just incremental, but people still want to buy those phones and those gadgets, and then they're sucked into that ecosystem. And, you know, people were laughing at Apple when they came out with Apple, Apple TV+, Plus, but... You know what? I love Ted Lasso, so I don't know if you guys have watched it, but they've they've come out with actually some pretty good content, and I got a free subscription, and I'm considering renewing and actually paying for it. But I'm gonna say, like Dave, I think the where there's a bit of uncertainty is definitely social pressure, regulatory um, pressures as well. I mean, there's a bit of risk there, but I think if I were to bet on them, I'd be betting that they'll they'll continue growing for the foreseeable future. I mean, kind of just to piggy up, piggyback on that, like if they do split up some of these companies, shareholders will be just unlocked. Fine. I mean, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. new entrepreneurial cult- cultures, right. you know, and and some of these things, like you take Google and YouTube, they're both going to be strong, even if they're not cohesive unit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I saw somebody on Twitter a while back say, you know, why don't we all just buy the FANG stocks and go play golf? I mean, yep. what, are we ar- what are we arguing about all these other, pe- you know, peon yep. things? Let's just buy FANG and go play stock and go play golf. Braden's like already idea. on that. Yeah, it sounds like a great <laughs> he's already, idea. He's already doing it and playing golf. So. <laughs> I played golf today before the show. We started before we recorded the show. So I'm feeling good about that idea there, Dave. Okay. So, when you look at these mega tech companies, we can all agree uh, they still have a long runway for growth. The business quality, the network effects, the switching costs, the profitability, their ability to... What did Microsoft... Andrew, you probably know, you follow the name. What did they just announce a $60 billion buyback program and raise the dividend to like 12% or something yesterday? 11, 11%. 11%. Yeah. So, I mean, they're just printing cash. All right, let's go around the table. Let's start with you, Dave, and then Simon, and then Andrew. From here, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Does this group of mega tech trillion dollar firms outperform the market? Yes or no? Yes. Over the next, well, so let's say three years. Yes. I could say no. I'm going to say no. Simon's getting, okay. Simon, care to explain? Yeah, care to explain. I mean, I think, um, obviously, I think they'll perform quite well. I just think there's some uh, new areas, some really exciting areas, whether you're you're looking at uh, even like payment processors, you have a lot of companies that are coming out with uh, with a lot of interesting offerings when it comes to that, whether you're looking at a Square, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, obviously, are the more established players. There's a lot of interesting businesses that are are coming up that I think uh, may outperform 
these uh, the big tech big tech. I don't think it'll be. I think it'll be pretty close. But I I think I just wanted to to go against the grain as well. Yeah, fair just, enough. <laughs> You're like shit. Now I have to come up with a hot take here. <laughs> I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You know, those five names now make up so much of the index weighting themselves. Yeah. So perhaps it's a silly rhetorical question, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this is another question that we're sitting here wondering, like, what are we doing? Why am I not buying these names and just going to go play golf? Simon, do you want to bring us to our last topic for the day? Yeah. Yeah. So our last topic is some exciting secular trends. Um, So do you guys have some secular trends you're looking at uh, in the next few years or decades that you think are create some really good opportunities for uh, for stock investors and uh, you want to give us one or two each uh, maybe starting with Andrew sure I mean I kind of talked about it already but really data not just data consumption or data generation but data as a moat and so you're starting to see that now and you know Dave hates Tesla but one of the one of the bullish cases for taste for Tesla is they're so vertically integrated and they're collecting just massive amounts of data. And we're seeing now the effects of all this data that Google and Facebook have collected on people and how that's really, you just look at the revenues and then see what that's done for them. And so I think you can start to see that. And and I think it can start to be applied in a lot of ways, just outside of what you would think of like just a standard tech company. So like, (laughs) I, I still get excited about car insurance, to be honest. I mean, Progressive's a fantastic company. They are outside of Geico. They're like solid number two. And they have that same, they have a very similar model where they're very uh, much more direct than their competitors, where they sell directly versus through an agent. And so that's a low cost advantage. And they've been trending that way. And they're also collecting just tons of data as well. And, and they they continue to use like like uh the company's ipoing in that space they're all plugging into cars and, and collecting that data progressive's doing that along with them and so i think you'll see companies like that who are continue to to collect data and use that to make better business decisions and, and make more profits and really help everybody who's involved i like that second level thinking you're looking at these are the companies that collecting data who are the perhaps unknown, potentially underpriced benefactors of that trend? And we talked about that a bunch, Simon, is with Equinix, American Tower, SBA Communications, Digital Realty Trust, those companies that house these data centers that the AWS and Azure's have to actually live in, those companies massively benefit from this trend as well. And it's not one that comes top to mind, top of mind right away. How about you, Dave? What are you thinking about when a, with a large secular trend that you'd be happy to say you have high conviction in these days? I think I'm, I'm going to throw a few at you. So um, the first one, obviously, is, is the fin, fintech thing. I think that the pandemic has changed the way we bank and the way we use our money. I know one of your favorite phrases is cash is dead. And it really is. I, I think the way that that we pay for things now has changed so much. And the rise of buy now, pay later, I think, is is a indication of things that are changing. This is an old idea that's been repackaged and now is being offered to people in a way that's different than it was in my parents' day. And what I'm talking about is layaway. 
It used to be that you could go in and you know pick these things out, pay for them, and once you're paid for, you got them then. So you didn't have to put $200 down for a TV back then. And now it's reversed where you get the product and you can pay it off in, in installments. And so I, I think those things are going to gain more and more traction, especially with the younger crowd. And I just think that just a lot, not just those ideas, but just the way that we bank and the way that the banks have treated us. I, you know, I can say this because I worked at Wells Fargo for five years and I know how the level of customer service. Now, the people I work with, I didn't listen to them. They were great, but it wasn't always that way. And I've I've been to banks, you know, where I've gotten bad service and they just don't give a crap. And so these you know, these companies like Square and PayPal and Ajin and Stripe and all these other companies, they're just making it so easy. A perfect example of this is uh, I read somewhere the other day that it was quicker to open an account on Square than it was to pump my gas to pay for me to pay for the gas. So, you know, when things get that simple, it just becomes more and more of, of a thing. So there's that grouping of things that I've spent a lot of time looking at. The other thing that I think is going to be a big thing is going to be the change in how power is generated. So you guys were talking about the data and, and that is obviously going to be a monster thing, but that power has to come from somewhere. And I think the evolution of what's really going on, and I'm not talking about the government forcing this on us. I'm talking about the way that the businesses are really driving this. You know, somebody like Warren Buffett was way ahead of the curve on solar energy and wind power. He's, you know, got huge farms in all over the country. And that's been a huge part of Berkshire. And as he and Charlie move to the next stage of their lives, that's really going to be one of the things that's going to drive Berkshire is, is those investments. And so I really think that solar energy and wind, wind energy are going to be huge, huge things going in the future. And the third thing is internet security. I was recently reading about CrowdStrike, and I'm not saying that this is a company that I would buy at this point, but something that was really interesting that came that came up in that article was ransomware as a service. So these companies that are out there hacking into these companies, last year they made $156 billion worldwide. That's insane. And that is just, and it's rising. And so as more and more of us get online and adopt all these things, that's going to become a bigger, bigger, bigger part of our lives. And some of the, the legacy tech, like the semantics and the McAfee and stuff like that, they're keeping up. And something, you know, the, the good guys got to figure out a way to keep the bad guys out. And as more and more of us adopt the cloud and come online, that's going to become a bigger thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think those are, are great secular trends. Obviously, I, Braden knows that uh, I was probably going to say the renewable power uh, <laughs> angle, as you said, with uh, wind and solar. And I, I'm a big believer in that, and especially because the pricing of those has become really competitive compared to the uh, carbon fuels in the past few years. So now, I mean, you're seeing, yes, governments and businesses are pushing for that more, but it also makes a lot more sense economically. And we talked about that in our recording we did yesterday as well. Another big one for me is infrastructure. Uh, we saw it in the U.S. with the infrastructure bill, but I think we're seeing infrastructure investment across the world. It's not just in the U.S. It's not just in Canada. We're seeing that in Europe. We're seeing that in Asia as well. So I think that's going to be a, a big secular trend as well. Braden, do you have uh, anything to add to that? Yeah, one thing that came to mind as I was listening to to Dave's ideas there in the Square example, being able to download it so quickly to your phone and and these companies that are innovating 
on top of this system that we've built that, you know, when it comes to banking in particular and some of these incumbents in, in different industries, the innovators are doing something really specific. They are reducing friction, whether it be reducing friction for enterprises or reducing friction for consumers in a B2C business. That's what it comes down to is the ability for you to be able to use their service, not only download it like for user growth, but also being able to actually accomplish the things you want to do. They make it so simple. And for most people, you know, you've struggled, you've used the technology on an old incumbent, maybe your banking system's kind of bad, or you've used a government website that's built on, you know, web technology that was developed in 98. It's very heavily, like there's tons of friction and the whole experience sucks. And then these new companies come out and they just make it so easy. And that's where all the value is. And I think that that's where they continue to innovate and beat the incumbents is reducing friction. So that's one thing that I, I thought of immediately with both your examples. Yeah. And and probably the, the one last thing, I mean, I, I have to talk a little bit about uh, crypto and Bitcoin, but I will make it quick. But you're seeing these companies that you're mentioning, whether it's Square, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, I mean, they're not staying on the sidelines. They're actually investing in those technologies. And I won't go on more than that, but they are investing a lot more than the traditional banking system. And I like to see that just because it shows they're not afraid of trying new stuff, uh, trying embracing new technology. And I think they're, you know, big banks, whether you're looking at US or Canada, I think they're looking for a lot of disruption in the next decade, personally. Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. And and on the crypto thing is, look, it's out there and people are paying attention to it. And I think ignoring it just becomes a bit of a mistake at this point, whether you believe in it or not. I think that it's caught enough steam that it's definitely worth Paying attention to, whether it's with your capital or just with your attention, paying attention to some of this stuff, I think is important. All right, guys. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you. Andrew, do you want to give a quick handoff on how our listeners can find not only your show, but where you guys are hanging out, whether it's Twitter or your website? Yeah, I appreciate that. So our podcast, the Investing for Beginners podcast, we go a lot more in depth on our blog. So you can find that at einvestingforbeginners.com. We've got tons of stuff on valuation, accounting, and you know normal stuff too. So Dave and I like to write and we write a lot and you can get a lot of our thoughts on there. And Dave is running our Twitter. Where Where's that at now? ifb.podcast. Okay. At ifbpodcast. See, you guys have a weekly episode on investing for beginners? We do. That's correct. Yeah. Every Thursday. Every Thursday. So go check that on your player. Thanks again so much for coming on the show, guys. If you are listening and you have not checked out Stratosphere, you have to do it. If you want to find financial statements, metrics, it is so simple. We're talking about reducing friction. This is reducing friction. You get all your data in one place. (laughs) Yeah, you guys like that, eh? (laughs) Go to getstockmarket.com or stratosphereinvesting.com. Thanks again, guys. And we'll have to do this again a little home and away. I know that both our audiences can get a lot of value from these types of discussions, not only what we're thinking about, but also what we're, we're struggling to, to figure out ourselves because you know not everyone has all the answers. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Peace. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast.
Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.